In this episode of the I Want to Party with Bob Boo cast. I'm laying there in this room and it sounded like boots are like hard soled shoes, just walking one way all the way across the room and then the next way all the way across the room. Welcome to episode 115 of the I Want to Party with Bob Bobcast. Boocast? Yeah, why not? This is the spooky and triumphant return of the Ghost Stories series of episodes. Yes. Welcome back, my paranormal and spooky story-loving fiends. Here we go once again. Also, welcome back to the atrocious August series of episodes. The Bobcast starts celebrating Halloween now. All spooky all paranormal content for the entire month of August. It's all creepy and cool as can be. There's a lot of C's. The last Ghost Stories episode came out in December of 2020. That was Ghost Stories Part 3. So here we are back with Ghost Stories Part 4. We're going to do things just like I did in 2020. You're getting the very first of this new series of Ghost Stories episode right now in August. Another one in October. And the final Ghost Stories episode in December of 2021. Here's the question, though. Will the Ghost Story series of episodes finally be laid to rest in December 2021? Well, I don't know. As long as strange and frightening sounds echo through the halls of this world, wherever candlelight flickers and the air is deathly still, and someone somewhere is witness to these disquieting metamorphoses. I promise to be here to present those stories in all of their ghoulish delight. Here we go. The ghost story series is never going to end as long as I'm doing this podcast. That's what I'm trying to say, especially as long as so many people see, hear, and experience weird and or paranormal phenomena. These are my favorite episodes by far. I love hearing stories from different people about their possibly paranormal and or weird or strange experiences. Unexplainable. That's the key word that we're looking for here, right? Here's a disclaimer. Some of these stories are a little bit scary. They really are. If you're easily frightened, you might want to tune in to the Smurf cast or maybe the My Little Pony cast rather than this series of ghost stories. Do, do those podcasts exist, though? They probably do. There is a podcast for every type of fandom in the entire world. I'm going to be totally honest, though. When I was editing these stories, I did it mostly at night by myself in the little studio area. I was getting really freaked out. I kept turning around like, what's behind me? What's going on? Yeah, there are some very, very scary stories in this episode, I believe. So if you'd like to, after that little disclaimer, that little warning, you know, stick with me. Don't lag behind, and the real chills will start now. Before we get to those stories, though, let's all look alive for the Celluloid Catacombs with Carolyn Morissette. This time around, Carolyn has dug up the movie In Fabric, a 2018 film about a haunted red dress. Well, here's Carolyn with more. Hey everyone, it's Carolyn, back for another episode of the Celluloid Catacombs. I'm really excited that Bob is doing another set of ghost stories, because I've been waiting for an opportunity to talk about In Fabric, a trippy British horror comedy about a haunted dress. It's 1993, and Sheila Woolshapel is a middle-aged woman who works in a bank. 
She lives in the town of Thames Valley on Thames. She's single again and lives with her late teens slash 20-something son, Vince. She's lonely and looking for love via the personal ads in the local paper. Has to deal with Vince's obnoxious older new girlfriend, Gwen, and their freeloading habits. And she's generally world-weary. Finding a somewhat decent match for a date, she goes to the town's department store, Dentley and Soapers, to find a nice frock for the night out and encounters the perfectly coiffed sales assistant, Miss Luckmore, dressed in a hoop skirt and Victorian garb, speaking an oddly flowery language. Sheila is drawn to a bright red wrap dress, embellished with a black embroidered filigree patch on the hip. Sheila's date proves to be a dud, with a man who doesn't live up to his name, Adonis, plus he's just boorish. The dress gives Sheila a rash and the creeps, but she's not sure why. Unfortunately, the dress is a one-of-a-kind, so she hangs onto it and wears it on her second date, which proves to be more fruitful, and Sheila is smitten. Her new boyfriend thinks she's silly because Sheila finds out from Miss Luckmore that the model wearing that exact dress in the catalog died tragically. Then there's the washing machine repairman, Reg Speaks. After the dress ends up in a thrift shop, it's scooped up by one of Reg's friends, and Reg is forced by his obnoxious group to wear it for his stag party. When Reg's fiance, Babs, gets a hold of the dress, she tries it on and soon has a distorted view of herself. Reg also has a tights and stocking fetish, and a knack for putting people into trances when he recites the inner workings of washing machine mechanics. The dress is a size 36, yet it fits anyone who wears it, will not be degraded by being tossed in a lowly washing machine, and it craves blood. It also gives the wearer a nasty rash and will suffocate you if necessary. Also, dogs don't like it either. While the dress makes its rounds haunting those who wear it, the department store is a place of mystery and ceremony in its own right. It's as if the staff at Dentley and Soapers have a hive mentality, communicating through looks and whispers. Miss Luckmore and her crony perform a bizarre ritual on a mannequin that the manager, Mr. Lundley, finds highly erotic, pleasuring himself as he watches them. It's eerie and makes you laugh at the same time, observing a completely bizarre universe that no one questions. There are prophetic dreams, yearning to be understood and, and for love, swirling around an absurd comedy like the silky fabric of the haunted dress. I won't spoil the ending of the film because you must bear witness to the ultimate in a shopping nightmare. Rest assured, the finale is grand, weird, and quite haunting. In Fabric was directed by Peter Strickland and stars Marianne Jean-Baptiste as Sheila, Jagan Aye as Vince, Gwendolyn Christie as Gwen for all you Game of Thrones people out there, Fatma Mohammed as Miss Luckmore, Richard Bremner as Mr. Lundy, Leo Bill as Reg Speaks, and Haley Squires as Babs. You know, there's nothing I love better than when a supposed normie actor lets their freak flag fly and branch out into horror. I'm talking about Marianne Jean-Baptiste, who was nominated for a bajillion awards, including an Oscar for her breakout film Secrets and Lies in 1997. I loved to see her in films, and I cheered when I saw her in, in Fabric. Strickland was inspired to write in Fabric because of his experiences working retail. He also comments on consumerism, and he's also got memories of timeless department stores that don't evolve past the 70s or 80s that inspired him. Uh, there's also giallo films because of the flamboyance, heightened artifice, and the music. 
He mentions Edward Keenholz, an American sculptor who did creepy sculptures that inspired his mannequins. In the Blu-ray commentary, he mentions Dario Argento's Suspiria, Mario Bava's Blood and Black Lace, and Herc Harvey's Carnival of Souls as his source of inspiration as well. Actually, that commentary gives us a lot of details on the score, which is a cross between electronic and harpsichord, the set and sound design, the locations, and how rushed the entire shoot was at 27 days, which was split up between Hungary and the UK. There's a 60s pop art feel with photo montages, and he also mentions taking great pains to photograph the dress practically instead of using digital manipulation, which I appreciate because the dress really has a life of its own as it floats above beds and drifts through the air in such a menacing way. Strickland sounded like he wanted to do more with the film, but he felt rushed and had a lot of constraints. It didn't sound like a particularly fun shoot either, as he said there was a bad vibe on set, which I find interesting since the movie is about a cursed dress. I'm going to say outright that not only is the dress cursed, but the actual department store is as well, run by ghouls and reanimated mannequins with odd melodramatic speech. They rule the town with their hypnotic TV ads beckoning customers into their red-nailed clutches. I also wanted to point out Sheila's two bosses at the bank, Stash and Clive, played by British comedians Julian Barrett from The Mighty Boosh and Truth Seekers, and Steve Oram from Ben Wheatley's Sightseers. Stash and Clive are a couple and work in tandem, enforcing the absurd policies adopted by most corporate rule jobs that try to sell a culture to their badly paid and badly treated employees. They reprimand staff for insolent salutations, longer bathroom breaks during staff lunches or quote-unquote feeding times, and investigate employees' dreams. They enjoy a bit of role play as well, which leads me to my next point. In fabric also moves within the kink and fetish world. Be it stockings, role-playing, hypnotic recitations, worshipping drawings of vaginas or mannequins, most characters have something unique that turns their crank. These kinks are integrated quite seamlessly, and I would say that the department store is the birthplace of a lot of these fetishes. I love the shots of the shop's assistant's ankles, which in Victorian times were highly erotic and taboo and usually were covered. But there are several shots of the sales staff climbing stairs with the shorter than usual Victorian skirts. This will tell you that the women aren't the usual. I mean, it's obvious. Strickland directed the Barbarian Sound Studio and the Duke of Burgundy, which is apparently his favorite film. So you may see some familiar faces from those films in the cast of In Fabric, as well as Ben Wheatley's films. Wheatley was the executive producer, which is pretty cool since his latest film, In the Earth, is another trippy British horror. In Fabric debuted at the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival during the Midnight Madness program, and that year it took all the festivals by storm, rightly so because it's such an amazing film. There's so much more I could talk about, but I think I've covered the basics. Although the film echoes many styles, it's still pretty unique. In Fabric reminds me why I love film so much. It's completely unexpected, it's beautiful, it doesn't need to make sense, and it's darkly comedic. You can check out In Fabric streaming on most of the platforms, and you can also get yourself a copy on Blu-ray and DVD. So just a reminder, think about in fabric when you're drawn to that particular sale item or something that looks really enticing to you on that rack. There could be a creepy reason. Thanks for joining me for another installment of the Celluloid Catacombs. Until next time!
Thank you so much, Carolyn, for your contribution to this episode of the Bobcast about In Fabric. I got to say, watch the trailer for that movie. I was fascinated when Carolyn told me that the In Fabric was going to be the movie that she was going to talk about. And I watched the trailer. That movie looks incredible. Really kind of silly in some ways, I guess. But it's actually very scary looking. And the story is really, really different, really rad. So definitely check it out for yourself. Thanks once again to Carolyn Morissette. Make sure you do keep your clothing properly stored and subdued. And stay tuned for more installments of the Celluloid Catacombs once a month here only on the Bobcast. Now, let me briefly introduce the ghoulish guests of this episode before we head into the boundless realm of the supernatural. The first story up is from Kennedy of the Haunted Times, and she's got a tale of a haunted hotel. Then it's Amanda Woomer from Spook Eats, and she's got two spooky stories. One that's pretty frightening and one that's really very heartwarming and kind of lovely, I think. Next, it's Gregory with his tale of an old man that really did follow him home in a way. And his story will be followed by Courtney of the Ghoul Guide with her experiences at the Waverly Hills Sanatorium. Lastly, we have Amanda Paulson of Pretty Effin' Spooky. She's got a tale of a night she spent at the Lizzie Borden house all by herself. And it doesn't seem like she was completely alone in that house, I don't think. Yeah, make sure you stay tuned for that. Amanda's story is absolutely incredible. I will introduce each teller of these ghostly tales as their segment comes up, kind of so you can keep track of who is who and whose story is what. What Bobcast would be complete without a couple of fearfully fitting songs? Yes, indeed. Here's your funeral dirges for this episode. First up, it's Airstream Futures with the song Cemetery Sparrow. Then it's the band The Lungs with the song Visitant. These sympathetic vibrations from these two bands, they're going to show up in between the story segments. So please keep an ear out for those musical materializations later on in the episode. Mm -hmm. For now, and right before the real chills begin, I've developed a frightful thirst doing all this talking. So why don't we do the... Yes, the beer of the episode is back and with a bloody vengeance this time. I'm going to sample the California Nightmare American Porter from Plan 9 Alehouse. This beer is a robust American Porter that is brewed with lactose and honey and it weighs in at 7% alcohol by volume. Let's try this beer and see if it can soothe my very terrified taste buds. It's good. Robust is a good way of describing this beer. Yeah, it's a good porter. I love porters, by the way. Little heavy during the summer, but that's okay. It's rare for me to meet a porter that I really don't like, but in this Plan 9 California Nightmare Porter is no exception. It's really good. A little sweet, a little chocolatey like a good porter should be and definitely on the heavier side, so be warned about that. But, God, oh, it's very delicious. Yeah, that is real. I want another sip of that, actually. Yeah, you can take that straight to the bank. That's a good beer. That is a very good beer. Well, 
You can try this beer yourself and many other fine beers by visiting Plan 9 Ale House at 155 East Grand Avenue in downtown Escondido, California. You can call Plan 9 Ale House at 760-489-8817 or visit them on the web at plan9alehouse.com. Plan 9 Ale House, beer to the creeple. Well, here we go. It is time for our first story. Our very first ghostly tale of this episode is from Kennedy. She is a paranormal investigator and blogger of all things haunted and spooky. Here's Kennedy with her tale of the Thomas House, which is located in Red Boiling Springs, Tennessee. And the story does mention at least one of the restless spirits that may reside in that hotel. Here's Kennedy. I think I'll start with probably one of my favorite ones. It is currently ongoing. I visit a location in Red Boiling Springs, Tennessee called the Thomas House. Down there, there's a spirit of a little boy. He's eight years old who drowned in the pool in the front yard in 1961. At one point, I was the only one who could get him to talk, to interact with meters. I don't know why, but he's like my little buddy down there. Um, his name's Edwin. He's probably one of my favorite interactions that I've had um, thus far. Hmm. One night we were in the kitchen. This was before the event had started. And I had the K2 out and it just kept going straight up to red. We turned our phones completely off and onto airplane mode and it was still going off. So we went through the list of names of the spirits who were known to reside in the dining room. And we get to Edwin and the REM pod goes off, the K2 goes off. I mean, every all of our meters just went insane. Wow. So we're standing there asking questions, and he would only react to the K2 when I would say something. So I would ask if he liked ice cream, and it would go off. And then somebody else would ask if he had a favorite color, and it, it would not do anything. Wow. And then um, I, would, I asked the exact same question to try to maybe debunk. Maybe it wasn't him, or maybe it was just interference with something else. But I asked if he had a favorite color, and it shot all the way to red. So I think that's that's one that always sticks with me. Um, he follows me around whenever I'm there. I go usually go down there for about a weekend at a time. Um, planning a weekend coming up in August, shortly after I'm in Moundsville. But he's he's absolutely my favorite ghost story that I like to tell people. Sure. Um, any chance any chance I get, I always talk about him. The story goes that he was visiting his brother, who was a lifeguard at the hotel. And while his brother went in to get lunch, he somehow managed to sneak past the fence and got in the pool and he drowned. I personally feel as though it wasn't an accident. Um, I have had interactions in the pool house with a woman saying that it wasn't an accident. So I don't know if somebody there had something to do with it, if his brother had something to do with it or what. I'm just trying to find answers to help this little kid, you know, who, who tragically passed away. We've done a few Estes sessions there. They're not like super, super common down there. Um, I mainly do spirit box by myself, walking around the hotel and he, Edwin is always right there. I mean, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I could be in the hotel room getting ready for bed and he's in the room with me. Oh my gosh. You know, wow. I woke up I woke up one night and I have this stuffed dog that I take down there for him. 
and it was sitting on the bed when I went into the bathroom to get ready for bed and I came out and it was on the floor behind the door. So I don't know if maybe he moved it, if it just fell off, but it was pretty, pretty far from the bed to just have fallen off. Yep. He absolutely loves that dog. And it, one of my best friends actually took, she unknowingly bought the exact same dog and took it down to the Thomas house on a weekend where I wasn't there. And he accidentally tried to follow her home because of the dog. Oh my. He thought it was my dog. (laughs) No kidding. Wow. And it's one of those stories that people don't believe because so much has happened with it. And it's just like, I can't really make it up, you know? And as soon as I get there, every time, it doesn't matter. You can just feel his playful energy come flying towards me. It's like heartbreaking, but at the same time, it's cool that he's chosen me to tell his story. My tie, my tie to thinking that maybe it wasn't an accident is the old reverend that was there at the church across the street. He doesn't really like me for some reason. Uh, one night we were sitting in what they call the seance room. It just used to be open floor, and that's how they cooled the entire hotel. It's a natural spring running underneath everything. Hmm. And I was sitting at the head of the table one night, and I was asking, I was asking a question about the old brothel that was there at one point and I asked if I was asking the working ladies if maybe one of the guys had gotten too rough at some point and at that point I felt a hand grab me on the back of the neck and try to shove my head down into the table wow and I immediately knew who it was because there's a book on the Thomas house that um, Chad Morin wrote he's the owner of Ghost Hunt Weekends and it was their event and I could not bring myself to look at the picture of this reverend. So that kind of gave me a feeling that, okay, maybe he is the one that did this. He did this, you know, that that sort of thing. Hmm. So upon review of an Estes section we did a few weeks later, we got his last name. And when I was talking, he said, grabbed you. And I knew that's exactly exactly who that was wow and i believe i have the recording of it somewhere on an evp recorder it it sent chills up my spine it was the creepiest thing ever so i think he had i feel as though he has something to do with edward's death thank you so much for your story kennedy i hope edwin has found some comfort connecting with you for what it's worth. You can learn more about Kennedy and her paranormal perusals on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. Simply look for at the haunted times, all one word. Kennedy also wanted me to mention Edwin's story is part of an ongoing investigation. She's still trying to find solid investigation based evidence relating to his case and his story. Next up, we've got two stories from Amanda Woomer, a paranormal investigator who is the force behind Spook Eats. Spook Eats is a paranormal travel and food-related online blog. Amanda's stories are both from the Buffalo, New York area. The first one involves some strangeness at the Iron Island Museum. The second story is from the Ghostlight Theater. It is a heavy one. It's, it's a great story. Followed immediately by Amanda's stories is the song Cemetery Sparrow by Airstream Futures. Here's Amanda. My creepiest encounter that I ever had, um, I haven't had too many, luckily. You know, usually I go to locations where I know the energy is pretty good, especially I was pregnant 
while I was investigating and now I have a little one at home. So I do very much kind of choose my locations wisely just to be on the safe side. You know, you never know. My creepiest encounter I ever had um, was at Iron Island Museum in Buffalo, New York. In our neck of the woods, it's one of the more famous, I guess you could say, haunted locations. You know, it's been on Ghost Hunters. It's been on Ghost Lab. Um, it was just most recently on Portals to Hell. It has a reputation in our area as being very, very active. And while I was owning an escape room uh, before the pandemic um, that, that successfully shut things down. But as a fundraiser for Iron Island, I came in to put in a pop-up escape room for their fundraising season um, right before Halloween. And so the last day or so of working on the props and setting everything up, I had to spend time there completely on my own. And I had been there on investigations prior, you know, as part of like birthday parties because we're all weird and that's what we do for our birthday parties. Like as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, what is wrong with us? So I had been there in the past. I knew Linda, the owner. I was very familiar with the space. I had never really felt threatened or anything. Um, Very, very comfortable there. And while I was there, Linda had to leave for a little bit of time. And I said, you know, I got to finish this. You have customers coming in four hours. We need to finish these things. So she said, well, I can lock you in. Do you feel Do you feel safe if I, I do that? Are you sure you're okay being on your own? And she kept asking this. And finally, I was like, should I not be? Like, should I be afraid to be here on my own? And she goes, no, I'm sure you'll be fine. And I was like, this doesn't bode well at all so I was working I was playing music you know trying to get you know these props finished and I was working in a room that they call the chapel um there's a big piece of an altar that was at a former church that burnt down but the altar was saved so they put it in this room there's a piano in there and across the hall from this room is a mirror so while I was working in the chapel I was trying to ignore this mirror. It's this huge oval mirror. You can see the whole room in it. And while I was working there in the middle of the day, broad daylight, um, I saw a shadowy figure. I won't necessarily say it was a shadow figure because I do think that's something different than a ghost. Sure. Uh, but it was a dark figure, a shadowy figure. But it was only the torso. It was from the waist up. It was in the mirror. And it looked like it was dripping out of the mirror. I, I, I am ashamed to admit that I left as quickly as I possibly could. Um, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I should have tried to like snap a photo or figure out like, what is this? But I think, I'm assuming because I was completely alone in this building, I very quickly like gathered up my supplies and very briskly kind of marched back to the safe area of the building, which is like the kitchen area. I didn't go back until Linda came back and, you know, she was like, oh, how did it go? And I was like, oh, funny, you should ask. So it's the only time I've ever seen anything like that. It was absolutely terrifying in the moment. Again, in hindsight, I wish I had been braver. I like to think I would have been braver, but clearly not. But it was it was an incredible experience looking back. But now, like I used to not like mirrors at all. Now I just despise them with every fiber of my being. So, but it was, that was the scariest thing. And again, it wasn't a feeling, like it didn't feel malicious. It didn't feel like it was dark. But I think just because I was alone, it, it thoroughly freaked me out. So I'm hoping, I've been back since, 
But I'm hoping to eventually like someday get back there and just the stars align perfectly where it happens again and I can maybe face my fears of the mirror and, and figure out what the heck I saw because it was very jarring and I can't explain it. I, it, it was, bleh. I still get the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. <laughs> so, um, so that's like the scariest encounter I've ever had. Um, and then luckily the nice heartwarming encounters greatly outweigh the creepy heebie-jeebie ones. My favorite, favorite haunted location on the entire planet is the Ghost Light Theater in Buffalo, New York. It's very, very small. Not a lot of people know about it. I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to get more people to know about it and learn more about it and visit it. Um, but it's this great old building. Um, it used to be a church. The cornerstone supposedly was laid on a dark and stormy Halloween night in 1889, of course. So it was a church for about 110 years, and then it was sold to Starry Night Theater Incorporated um, in 2001, and it's been a theater ever since. I joined the theater company in 2006, I believe, so it's been a couple years now. I was there a lot growing up, as was my younger brother. Um, and if people are, you know, have followed Spookies for a, you know a certain amount of time, um, I am very open with the fact that my younger brother did pass away in 2015 from pediatric cancer, and. The reason why I think the Ghost Light Theater is so special to me is it's one of those physical places in the world that I feel like I can go and he is still there. He, like, we don't have a grave for him, you know, we cremated him and, and he's at my parents' house, so like, we don't have a grave to go to, we don't have any marker, physical marker for him in the world, but I feel like the Ghost Light Theater is. Um, and many, many times people have seen him since he's passed away, people have heard him, people have photographed him, and so for me, the start of realizing that there was a very deep connection between the theater and my brother Jed came in about 2017. It was two years after he had passed away and we were hosting a very small little ghost hunt just for uh, theater members. So it was people that Jed knew. Um, myself, my parents were there. Um, the owner of the theater was like a second father to him. Um, his sons were like best friends. So in my mind, I was thinking, you know, if Jed could be anywhere in the universe right now, why not here at the Ghost Light Theater? Sure. I'm here. My parents are here. Everyone that he loves is in this building that he equally loved. So during an EVP session, I was down in the basement with um, two other women and we all kind of just scattered and went our separate ways. And I did a little EVP session on my own. And I don't know why, but it was put on my heart to just reach out to Jed, you know, and it's something I don't do. It was the first time I did it and it's the last time I've done it. I don't reach out to him. If anything ever comes through organically, cool, awesome, but I won't reach out just because it's a slippery slope. You don't want to become obsessed with it. Plus, you don't necessarily know that's who you are talking with. For whatever reason, I felt like I needed to just say, dude, are you okay? I just need to know that you're okay. That's all I need. And at the time, I obviously I didn't realize it because it was an EVP session. But, you know, a week later, once I finally got around to listening to it, I got an EVP of his voice saying, I'm fine. And the weird thing about it, and I'm trying to figure this out, he passed away when he was 19 years old, but his kind of like the height, quote unquote, of his theater career was when he was about 11 years old. Um, he played Oliver Twist in the musical Oliver, like he was like the little leading man and he ran the place like it was, it was his. <laughs> it was ridiculous. And the voice sounded like 
his voice when he was about 11 years old, um, which I thought was just the coolest thing. Connect it with that night, one of my friends who she's sensitive, she, you know, she does investigations on her cell phone. She captured a photograph of Jed when he was 11 years old. Um, she was actually down in the basement in the exact same spot I was doing the EVP session. We didn't realize this until we connected the dots. Um, just snapping photos, and in one of these photos is the figure. I mean, it's mind-boggling because it's a carbon copy of a family photo that we have from one of Jed's first days of school. But he's like, you can see like he's got a green t-shirt on. You can see like the collar of his shirt. He's got a backpack on, his long brown shaggy hair. You can see his jawline. It's mind-boggling. So it's this cool, okay, I got an EVP of an intelligent response to a question I asked in my brother's voice. That's cool in and of itself. And then you have this photograph that this woman took that she had no access to our family photo that's buried somewhere in a photo album on a bookshelf. You know, that's amazing in and of itself. But to have them both at the exact same time, on the same night, in the same place, is just, I always joke saying, if I never got anything else ever on any of my investigations, I'm fine with that because I got exactly what I needed. Since then, I've actually seen Jed with my own two eyes at the theater. I've heard his voice. Um, most recently, we did a paranormal investigation for the general public and um, a somewhat well-known psychic medium in our area. He was there and he saw my brother. He was describing like, I saw this kid with like this long brown hair and I don't know what was going on. And my mom and I were sitting there like, oh my gosh, like he's describing, he's describing Jed, wow. how people usually see him. That's definitely one of like my greatest encounters that I had. And since then it's just, you know, multiplied tenfold because I feel like every time I go to the ghost site, it is like this great big hug from my brother and that I do always find these great connections with him that just naturally organically happen whether I physically see him or I get an EVP of his voice or I hear his voice with my own ears. It's a very very active location at least for me personally and it's one of the most heartwarming encounters that I've managed to have that it's helped me in my grieving process. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's why I really got into the paranormal was, you know, I was always interested in it, you know, since I was a kid. But once my brother passed away in 2015, that's when it really turned into a, a you know, a crazy passion. And I've just been, you know, you know, diving in headfirst ever since. So it's always nice to kind of get, you know, those affirmations sure, yeah, and especially yeah. coming from my inspiration which is my brother is just it's even better it's the, it's the cherry on top
Thank you, Amanda, for those stories. That story about her brother at the ghost light, that is really, really incredible, I think. You can check out Amanda and Spook Eats online at spookeats.com or on all the social medias, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook for sure. Just go to at Spook Eats. There you'll find some very awesome content by Amanda. Also, Amanda has curated a series of books titled The Feminine Macabre. Volume 1 came out earlier in 2021. Volume 2 of The Feminine Macabre should be out by the end of August 2021. That's coming up really soon. The Feminine Macabre books are described as a woman's journal of all things strange and unusual. I have Volume 1. It's a super great book. I would definitely recommend you pick it up. The best way to do that is go to spookeats.com slash feminine macabre. There you can order your very own copy of Volume 1. Keep your eyes out for Volume 2 coming very soon. Also, if you'd like to submit an entry for a future volume of The Feminine Macabre, you can do that from that order page as well. That is spookeats.com slash feminine macabre. I also want to say thank you to Airstream Futures for that song. Well, next up is Gregory with his tale of a strange old man that seemed to follow him home and also haunted him for quite some time after. I was introduced to Gregory via Pleasant Gaming when I asked her, hey, do you have any friends that have any crazy ghost stories that I could talk to for this episode of Ghost Stories? She said, yes, I have a friend. His name is Gregory. He has some crazy stories. Let's let Gregory tell his own tale. Here he is. Here's Gregory. Uh, my mom was a, a psychic and sort of had a lot of premonitions to put her herself and also saw dead people a lot. So when I was seven or eight and I was having dreams that were somewhat prophetic, as well as uh, there was one point we had a small house, but I walked into me and my brother's room and there was no one there, but I knew there was a man sitting somewhere in the room. And I went to my mom and was like, you know, mom, I don't see anyone, but I know there's a man in the room. And my mom said, oh God, you have it. Okay, well, it's going to be hard. Don't tell anyone. From that, and that's basically has been my life since. So one that was that sort of was a, a, a ongoing saga was when I was I want to say like nineteen or twenty. I was at a grocery store. Um, I think it was my dad, and basically was you know in the produce section um, going down the grocery list that my parents had given me, and fairly instantly started feeling like I was being watched, and you know, not in a good way. So I started, you know, surveying the produce section, and basically, as my eyes met the back of this fairly old man's back, he, like, stopped moving. He was again somewhat, like, outrageous or whatever he was at. And, um, like, slowly turned towards me and made eye contact. And he was a super feeble old man, but I still yelled, just because of timing and sort of the already feeling of being watched. And, you know, <laughs> like a chicken ran out of the produce section from, like, an 80-year-old man in a suit. And super unsettled, like, told my dad, wanted to leave the store. It felt unfounded to be that afraid of an old man. I was like, I just spooked myself. Um, but for several years afterwards, he would show up in dreams. And it was always fairly ominous, fairly impending doom type feeling. And so that was for about two years. Yeah. When I was 22, uh, I was with, I was in my boyfriend's bed at the time and having an early dream. And it remember specifically, I was walking to the back of a bus. And he, I sat, and as soon as I sat down, I looked, and he was also had gotten on himself. I had gotten on. And it was the same man from the prairie section who was walking towards me. And I immediately started quoting Bible scriptures, which I was not raised Christian. 
but they were coming out and I was screaming them at full volume in the dream. And then when my boyfriend woke me, it was, uh, <laughs> he shared that I was not only screaming in my dream, but actually screaming them out loud um, to where I woke him up and he was freaking out. So that was unsettling. But then what did me in was after being, you know, dream trailed by this ominous figure for two years is I look up and he's floating on the ceiling staring back down at me as my boyfriend is talking to me. <laughs> and this is the point. My boyfriend is, at the time was a complete skeptic. And so I also was like, I can't let him think I've gone insane, but there is definitely a man floating, staring down at me. And so I'm mouthing, you know, um, <laughs> kind of like ridiculous, bad skit comedy from the 60s movie, like telling him I'm fine, it was a bad dream, and then also mouthing, get out of here, you know, get the fuck out. Yeah. Uh, my mom used to tell me that you were allowed to, you know, assert your boundaries with undead things. So I'm trying to do that basically, pantomiming for this thing that is floating on the ceiling to leave. And it's slowly, like, it basically, he asks what I'm staring at, and I, like, fuck, I'm just going to say it. So it's like, the man in my dream is actually on the, on the ceiling right now. And he's like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. Finally, I'm like, at this point, he thinks I've gone crazy, and I'm telling this thing to leave. And so it leaves the room, and he is still, he's basically trying to figure out, like, if I snap. And that's when we start hearing all the kitchen cupboards um, opening and closing, and the doors opening and closing. And he's like, what is that? And I was like, he's mad because he's leaving. He's like, what is that? And I'm like, it's the ghost I told you is in the house right now. <laughs> like, so then he's freaked out, because there's no explanation for that. So I'm not sure how we fell back asleep, but we did. And the next morning, we woke up, and... um another porch light was out and like two of the hallway lights were busted out and I never saw the ghost again well, thank you so much Gregory for your story a little unsettling to say the least I think uh, chilling in the produce section takes on a whole new meaning in Gregory's case very it's a very chilling encounter that's what I'm getting at yeah, it was a bad joke thanks to Pleasant for introducing us as well I really appreciate it Courtney is up next with a series of strange experiences from the Waverly Hills Sanatorium, which is located in Louisville, Kentucky. Courtney is a haunted travel blogger and paranormal investigator. She definitely experienced some very interesting incidents at Waverly Hills on a group investigation not terribly long ago. Well, here's Courtney, and her story will be followed immediately by the song Visitant by The Lungs. Stay tuned. Like the whole entire night was just really weird. And I was just honored to be there. So if no like scary things happen, I would be like, all right, that's cool. I was just happy to be here. Sure. But that night kind of just like took over everything. Um, we started the night with a triple S discussion. And if anyone doesn't know what that means, it's like a sensory deprivation where you listen to the spirit box and people just ask a whole bunch of questions and you can't hear anything. You're kind of just yelling out what you think you're hearing through the box. Mm. So when we did that up on the fifth floor, myself, Amanda, who was uh, pretty up and spooky, who I believe been on this before, yeah. and Sharice, we all kind of like hung out and did it together. So this was the first time we ever went like triple and we all kind of felt the same thing walk past us. Um, it started with Amanda and she was like, oh, it feels like something's 
walking right in front of me and we all have blindfolds on so we have no idea what's happening and probably about 30 seconds after she said it Sharice goes it feels like someone's walking past me and without skipping a beat I go someone has to be walking past me it's so cold right by me so during that session I heard a scream in my headphones and I never heard that before and it come to find out like the whole legend of the fifth floor if you haven't heard it was about like a nurse who hung herself so I thought that was interesting so we kicked off the night that way and everything seemed okay until we got to the fourth floor and the fourth floor is kind of meant it's kind of like a, a shadow hallway so keep experience shadow figures down there that's like one of the most paranormally active locations within the hospital and we saw I we kept seeing a whole bunch of shadows so we like got up to go see what it was um some people went out on the solarium but I ended up staying in the hallway and I just kept eyes down at the very bottom and at this point it looked like a shadow was at the bottom and it started walking towards me so I was like guys something's walking towards me Sharice comes out of the door that I'm standing next to I end up scolding her because she just scared the living crap out of me and I didn't know what to do in the moment so she turned her head and we both like held on to each other's arms we were like holy crap this is happening like this this is happening like something started walking towards us and before we could like go see what it was the other group that we had came and met us on the floor so whatever it was scared it away um the other group was probably to get like the two groups merged for probably about like five, 10 minutes. And me and my friend Steve, we looked at each other as everyone started going down the staircase to go back to base. And he was like, oh, I'll hang out with you. And I was like, that's perfect. Cause I kind of really wasn't done with the floor. So we, we literally watched everyone walk down the staircase. So we turn and start heading towards the OR and we get probably about maybe 10, 15 feet away from the staircase. And all of a sudden you hear, hey, clear as day, I whipped my head around so fast and saw an empty staircase, like saw an empty hallway and I looked at him and he was like, yeah, I heard that too. So we both book it. I'm at the point where I'm like, guys, if you're up here, you have to say something. You have to say something. Like, I don't care if you're trying to scare us. No one was around. Like, there was not a soul around. So we started like, I started like internally panicking because I'm like, no, no, we just heard a disembodied voice. So we started walking back down the way we were, and that entire time, you were just hearing, like, little taps here. You were seeing a little shadow over here. Like, so it was just, in, it was just there enough to, like, get your attention. Through the whole fourth floor thing, um, we kind of stayed up there for about, like, 15 minutes trying to see what else we can gather, but, like, we heard nothing else. Like, no other voices. We just heard, like, little bangs and taps. So as the night started going on, at like 2.45ish in the morning, myself, Sharice, and Amanda, and another girl, we decided to go down to the body shoot. We haven't been yet. The body shoot is this 450 foot tunnel that is off of the hospital. And at first it was used to haul all the materials for when they started building it. Hmm. And then, the rail was kind of a big booster like with TB the doctors and like everyone else like they didn't know what they were doing in terms of a cure so morale kind of was like their big thing um it was 
everything in Waverly was in the spirit of when you beat this, not if you beat this. So instead of the patients laying out on the porches watching hearses just come up one by one to gather all the people who passed, they decided to file the bodies out into this tunnel so it met at the bottom of the hill and the hearses could just pick them up there. So a lot of a lot of things have passed through, a lot of energy, like it's just a weird place. Sure. But sure. it's like nothing to be afraid of. There was the four of us and we did and we went down there. So everyone was set up. I was kind of just sketched out looking around. So I I had my recorder on and I was the only one to get whatever happened. So we were probably down there for not even ten minutes. And Sharice thought she heard something at the bottom of the of the tunnel. So we all shushed. Um, you can hear it in the recorder. And there's a good 10 seconds of silence. Um, she thought she heard her footsteps or something. So we were all focusing at the bottom. And at this point, I had finally like taken my concentration off the top of the tunnel because while they were like setting up, I couldn't get my eyes away from there. I just had this like weird feeling that something was gonna chase us down the tunnel. Whoa. So we were all silent for like 10 seconds. And as my recorder went flipped over to a minute, all of a sudden you hear this giant bang. What had happened was a huge sound came in and it echoed throughout the entire, the entire tunnel, all 450 feet of it. We were screaming. And at one point, I think someone was like, what was that? And Sharice was, and you can hear Sharice on the recorder going, I don't know. And we were all just so panicked. So basically, me and Amanda ran down into the hallway that we came out of and we and we saw that it wasn't the iron gate that closed the tunnel off and it wasn't the door leading from the hallway into the hospital. Um, come to find out, it was the emergency exit door and there was a motion light on outside that I had no idea um, was even on. Amanda was the one to pick it up. So that was interesting. And what made it even worse is like when we got back up with the group, no one heard us scream. No one heard the door slam. And no one even heard us like being radioed at all. So we were completely alone. No one knew what was going on. Wow. And were they yeah. were they were they at a distance where they should have been able to hear like the door slam or or hear you guys maybe talking amongst each other or something like that? You would think. I think they were up. So I think they were on the, probably on the other side of the hospital, up a couple floors. So I don't think they would have been able to like even hear us talk because Waverly is so big. It's big yeah. Like you can run into people, like or you can spend the night there and like maybe not even run into people just like here and there we never heard anyone we thought we did multiple times like we were getting annoyed sometimes because you would hear these voices and you'd be like oh they're coming up and you're waiting for them to come but they never come Hmm. so we were having doppelganger voices instead of the doppelganger phenomenon of like seeing people we were hearing them like we had a lot of doppelganger voices all night and I believe that we actually caught one on a recorder. Waverly Hills has this like weird phenomenon with doppelgangers. And a doppelganger is basically like a German, I don't want to say like superstition, but it's a German word for seeing double. Mm. And the whole concept is 
that if you see, like people, like I can see you, like say I can see you standing in front of me, but then I go down the hallway and you're coming up the stairs. And I'd be like, oh, I just saw you. And be like, no, you didn't. I was just coming up the stairs. So that's like a doppelganger. And that's the kind of stuff that they have. But while we didn't experience um, seeing people, we just heard voices all night long. Like there was one point where we were doing the Waverly Challenge. And that's basically like you going alone up each flight of stairs without a flashlight and just seeing what happens. Mm. But we did this at the end of the night. So we were all terrified after the body shoot. So me, Amanda, and Sharice all went together and we started at the bottom while our friends started up at top and we had no idea that they were even doing it. So come to find out, they were on the fifth floor and they saw a flashlight beam come up the stairs and they heard my voice and I believe Sharice's voice and they were like, oh, they're coming up. Like, we'll all do it together. They waited for about like five minutes and we never showed. And after they heard our voices, we radioed them like, hey, we're starting the challenge. Where are you guys? So they were up on the fifth and we were at the first. So we met on the third. Um, We ended up getting to the third first. So I was like, let's just shut the lights off. Let's kind of like adjust ourselves because I thought I was seeing something down the hallway. Um, And what's really freaky is that I didn't know Sharice had a recorder on her the entire time. And when you hear like when you hear her EVP if you ever ask her to play it for you um, or she has it on YouTube actually you can hear her and me say the say two exact sentences same tone same everything going hey is someone down there and like they called back yeah it's us so we both go oh okay and the same tone is everything so that is already spooky enough to me but we started walking and you can hear us talk about like oh how we thought we saw something and then in between us talking you can hear a voice go it was me or it like me and me and her both heard it audibly to the point where it got on the recorder going did you just hear that voice like you can hear us having a conversation about the disembodied voice we just heard so we asked our friends like hey is there a girl with you and they say yeah so we quickly brushed it off like oh it was her the boys quickly were like no it wasn't she didn't say a word she's standing right next to us Whoa. So when Sharice, yeah, so when Sharice was like, hey, I got the EVP of the voice, she sent it to me, and within a second of hearing it, I go, that's Hannah. Like, that's Hannah's voice, the other, the girl that was with the two guys. And I played it for everyone, and they were like, yeah, yeah, no, that's Hannah's voice, but it, she didn't talk. Like, she straight up did not say a word.
Thank you, Courtney, for your stories. And thank you to the lungs for that song. What a crazy song. What a crazy story. To have that many incidents happen during a paranormal investigation is absolutely bonkers. I mean, most investigators will tell you they're lucky if one little thing, like an EVP or maybe some spirit box activity or something like that, like any little thing, most investigators will say they'll spend hours at a location and barely anything, if anything, happens. And look what happened at Waverly Hills. That is insane. Courtney... Kennedy, who already told a story, Amanda Paulson, who's coming up next, and also all of our friends, Sharice uh, Williams, all were there, and all of them witnessed these crazy events. It's really interesting to me, too. Three of the tellers of tales in this episode were all at that investigation that Courtney just talked about, and it was a wild investigation, too. Jeez Louise, thank you so much, Courtney, for talking about it. Talk about strange circumstances in an episode, having three people that were the same investigation in one Bobcast episode. It's like a really weird synchronicity. I really love that. It's really, really cool, I think. And it wasn't my design. It kind of happened by accident. I didn't pick everyone who told stories. One of them approached me. I'm not naming any names. But anyway, yeah, really, really crazy. So, Courtney can be found on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. All you have to do is search for at The Ghoul Guide. Especially check out Courtney's series of Polaroid photos that she posts from each of her investigations at a variety of haunted locations all over the United States. And those are all up on her social media pages. Courtney, I also want to mention this. She was a featured writer in The Feminine Macabre Volume 1. That's another reason for you to go to spookeats.com slash feminine macabre and order that book. There you go. Amanda Paulson is up next. Amanda from Pretty Effin' Spooky. And Amanda really doesn't need any introduction if you've listened to past paranormal-themed Bobcast episodes. I'm going to introduce her anyways for this. Amanda has a story for us from a night she spent alone at the Lizzie Borden House. And it's a very notorious bed and breakfast located in Fall River, Massachusetts. Do you know the story of Lizzie Borden? On the day of August 4th, 1892. And yes, that is 129 years ago to the day of the release of this Ghost Stories Bobcast episode. And that's another really weird synchronicity that came up with this episode besides that group of investigators all having stories in this episode separate stories as well really really weird synchronicity it blew my mind well on august 4th 1892 lizzie borden's father and stepmother were found at the home they shared with lizzie which the address is 92 second street in fall river massachusetts by the way they were murdered by a hatchet or hatchets i don't know no one's ever been convicted of the crime lizzie borden was a prime suspect she was acquitted of those crimes, the murder of her stepmother and father, on June 20th of 1893. Now, we're not here to talk about the murders in the Borden house. No, we're here to talk about something that happened in the house 120-something years later. Here's Amanda Paulson with her tale of a very scary night she spent at the Lizzie Borden house. I stayed at the Lizzie Borden house in April, it was Easter Sunday, whatever day in April that was. I was out in Massachusetts to visit the Conjuring House um, with about nine other people I'd met online. So that was my main goal was to investigate the Conjuring House. 
I also stayed in Salem, Massachusetts, and then I had this extra night and I tacked on a room at the Lizzie Borden house. So I was like, I'll just stay the night on my last night in town because I can't simply just relax and like take a night off. <laughs> Enjoy I was vacation, like, right? Yeah, like have a relaxing yeah. night. Yeah. That's every trip for me. I was like, I must get the most out of being in New England. And uh, so Lizzie Borden house, I get a room. I, I book the John Morris room, which it's funny because I mistakenly thought the John Morris room was one of the most haunted rooms, but it's actually not one of the most haunted rooms. Um, but that didn't matter because I had the uh, whole house myself that night uh, because it was Easter Sunday. Nobody else ended up booking a night. The whole day was weird anyway. I was like, well, I took a little hike in a forest and had some weird experiences in a forest where they Apparently, it's a famous forest for puckwudgie hunting. Oh. Uh, I don't know much about that, but... Um, They're nasty little creatures no matter what, right? Don't they shoot, like, poisoned arrows at you and stuff like that? Yeah, I don't know much about puckwudgies at all, but I know I didn't think about it, and I was just like, I need to get out. Um, I was completely sleep-deprived from the Conjuring house. I got, like, a couple hours of sleep from there, and I got to Fall River, Massachusetts at, like, I don't know, 4 p.m. on Easter Sunday, and... Uh, I met up at the house to check in and this uh, nice tour guide and older gentleman gave me a two hour long tour of the house, which wow. was quite lengthy. Yeah, and it was just me. So I couldn't, I had to be completely um, engaged the entire time and, oh, and like really intently listen to this tour. It was a great tour, he was a really nice guy. And, and so yeah, he gives me the tour and he's like, no one else is staying in the house. You know, I have to sleep in only one bed that makes sense. Like I can't like go getting in all of the beds for some reason. So I'm still in the John Morris room, but I have the entire house to myself. He gives me the tour. And then I was like, how do I buy a t-shirt? I want to buy some merch. Where's, where's the merch people? I just expected there to be more people in the house period. I don't know. I was like, where are the other people? Like anyone? I don't know. And he's like, oh, she'll be here at 10 in the morning when you have to get out of the house and I'm leaving and you're alone. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> wow. And I know, and I'm, I mean, I don't know if I'm like flattered if it was the scenario that they were like, you'll be fine. Or, or they were also right, like going through um, ownership changes at this time. Like literally that weekend, the Conjuring House owner had been talking about the new owner of the Lizzie Borden house. So I also kind of think I slipped in in some kind of weird in between time for them yeah. because yeah i got the entire house myself he uh leaves and he's also like you have free reign of like the refrigerator or like whatever you want there's like sodas and <laughs> he's like it's the house is yours you know yeah and i had gotten some portuguese food because fall river is a weird place i don't know if you've been to fall river massachusetts but yeah. it's interesting and there was like a lot of portuguese restaurants which I've never had Portuguese food before. This doesn't matter for the story, but it was just like, it just kind of like adds to like how uncomfortable or not uncomfortable, but like out of the norm the night was. Like sure. I had to like go and get like a bunch of Portuguese food to go. So it was like, it was like octopus and like uh, mussels and stuff, like weird food. And I'm, I'm like, okay, so I got to eat this food in this in the Lizzie Borden house. I had like shit to do. I had to like, I wanted to shower. I wanted to like, relax and get my stuff together because I had to fly the next day and uh, eat my dinner and I was spooked in the Lizzie Borden house like almost immediately just for the fact alone that I'm in this house and it's super old and I'm in Massachusetts by myself I live in Washington state you know like there's just so many things that are making me on edge 
I uh, had to go to the bathroom and the, the bathroom that was mine was like right next to the room. But the door, if you open the door to the bathroom, you look all the way through the second floor of the house. Like you can just see, it's like not a shotgun home, but you can just see all the way through the doorways and stuff and just see all the bedrooms. So wow. for some reason that got in my head and I was like, if I go to the bathroom and then I have to leave the bathroom, what's going to be out there? I started getting into my head right away. I was like, what if yeah. I open the door and somebody's there? And uh, there was this fire exit in the bathroom that they had just put in with the uh, flap to the fire exit in the ceiling kind of hanging open. So I could see up into like the closet upstairs. <laughs> and I was like, absolutely not. So uh, I was already talking to my mom on the phone off the bat. I was like, mom, I'm pretty spooked. I don't know how I'm going to do this all night. And uh, so I kind of gather myself and, and start eating and, and hanging out. And um, pretty like immediately, I, I think I started eating like seven and I'd say by like 8.30 or something, I started hearing uh, footsteps upstairs. So I'm in the John Morris room and upstairs for me is the uh, maid Bridget's room. And um, I'm sure those listening know the Lizzie Borden story, but the John Morris room is where the mom was found murdered on the floor uh. Uh, next to the bed. And the room above me is just the maid's room. Nothing necessarily happened up there, but there's speculation as to what the maid possibly had to do with the whole She might have been involved like, in the murder in some ways is the thought, yeah. right? Or one of the thoughts, one of the thoughts, yeah. Yeah, yeah, one of the theories. So yeah, knowing that the mom had been murdered in the in this room that I'm staying in, that's why I thought it would have been the most haunted room. I actually didn't do much research into which was the haunted room, or most haunted, but uh, yeah, I'm eating dinner and I start hearing very, very distinct footsteps uh, upstairs already. And I guess I should backtrack, fast forward. What the, the beginning of the night is a blur because I'm like trying to relax and I'm watching TikTok and trying to do my my own business, like mind my own business. And there's already stuff happening. And plus the whole place is surrounded with like murder photos, true crime photos, skeletons and like just like ridiculous stuff that like would put anyone on edge at one point i do start a live stream and uh my intent with the live stream to begin with was kind of not really to i'm not a big live stream person on my on my pretty and spooky instagram but my intent was like to just have people with me like i just felt like alone and i just wanted company so i started live streaming and i kind of got ahead of myself and felt really cool and like I was like I'm here alone I'm gonna go throughout the house and turn off all the lights so I go through the house and I start turning off every single light every single light in the house on live stream and uh I it's wild I can't believe I did that it, that was definitely an adrenaline thing like it was people were watching on the live stream I had more people tune into the live stream than I've ever had before and I that definitely fed that bravery sure and so I turn off all these lights and I'm walking around. Uh, all I have in my hand at that time was like a little um, night vision light, like a purple light. And then I'm on my phone, so I can't really see. And so I turn off all the lights and I go back to my room. And then I'm back in my room. I'm eating again. I'm relaxing for a bit. I'm not on live stream anymore. And I'm watching TikTok. Again, I start hearing footsteps upstairs. It is like, at this point, it's not one or two footsteps. I've already identified what the radiator knocking sounds like. I've already identified what is street noise and what is wind. And I live in a very old house, like a late 1890s house. And so I know what old houses sound like. Yeah. And I'm laying there in this room and um, it sounded like boots are like hard soled shoes, just walking 
across like one way all the way across the room and then the next way all the way across the room and i had just been in that room turn turning off the lights i knew no one was in this house at all and so i get kind of freaked out and i decide to call i don't know who at this point i called everyone i knew the phone number for i've called sharice my friend sharice i called uh who else did I call? My friend Amanda. I called my friend Bailey. I called so many people just to like keep me company and me be like, I don't know what to do here. And uh, and as the night unfolds, I end up hearing footsteps also down the hallway, like as if I could hear it upstairs and then down the hallway. And then I could hear footsteps in the bedroom. Uh, there's There was this uh, old wood armoire, like freestanding closet thing in the bedroom. And you could hear the armoire move like as footsteps walked next to it. Oh my God, um, yeah. Like the sound of like furniture adjusting as somebody's walking next to it. And mentally, like psychologically, it was so exhausting because it was so scary and so distinctly human and it never stopped. It just kept going. And uh, as it would go down the hallway, I would fully expect for somebody to just show up in the doorway, which is like one of the most wild things I've ever had to like endure for so long like just expecting somebody to just come out of a hallway or come out of a door or walk up or say something like right. i was just like what is going to happen next and uh so i get really scared at a certain point i i get on a second live stream sharice is pulling tarot for me and we were going to do an exit session i was going to investigate but i actually chose not to because i felt terrified i was completely scared out of my mind uh, and I didn't even want to touch my equipment. It was all on the floor right there. I could have touched it. And if anyone looked at any of my content, you'd know I'm no stranger to equipment. I easily could have used any of it at any time. And I didn't want to. There was something telling me that like, one, I felt like whatever presence was, was there was male. And I don't know why, if it was the sound of the footsteps or if it was just like some, some kind of intuition, like some kind of feeling. Um, and I also felt like it was like intelligently observing me. Like it like wow. was thinking to itself, the audacity of her staying alone. Like it felt very targeted, especially the footsteps in the bedroom too. Like, because it was traveling throughout the house. Like I could hear, right. hear the footsteps just traveling throughout. So I closed my bedroom door and I barricade myself in. Like I put the this like little cat the, the, some things that were there to like uh, hold the door open. I like close the door and then I stuff things against the door. And then I uh, end up taking all of the pictures off the wall. There was like a picture of John Morris and there's a picture of the crime scene. And I take all those, uh, what I could, I take them down and put them face down. Cause I was so scared. I was done at that point. I was like, wow. I don't know what could happen here and I don't want it to, I'm not ready for it. And then eventually, you know, it continues. It just continues on and on. I stay on live for a total of like three hours. At one point, I was sitting cross-legged on the bed for about 45 minutes straight, not moving, not doing anything. Just uh, like, as I said, calling people over and over again. If I'm not on live, I'm calling people on the phone and I'm just sitting there listening. I don't know what to, like, I just didn't understand what to do. I was in complete shock. And uh, Eventually, I choose, I, I choose to leave the house and I'm like, I'm not gonna sleep here all night. Like, I think it was one in the morning, 1.30 in the morning. And I'm like, you know, I don't normally believe in the 3 a.m. like, like 
thinner veil type of conversation. Right. But I don't want to be in the Lizzie Borden house alone to find out. I do not need to be here at 3 a.m. <laughs> to know what happens here, you know? And uh, and so I hyped myself up on the last live stream and I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to leave. And I started to try to leave. I get down to the to the first floor and the in the the living room in the Lizzie Borden house or like sitting room where it has a famous couch that everyone yeah. takes pictures with that room felt like nothing like those rooms down there the dining room and that room and there's like a sitting room those felt pretty safe and like nothing was going on the second floor felt uneasy uh and the third floor was like absolutely not the third floor like where the maid's room was and there was also two other rooms up there one of them they call it a child's room at they have like kids toys in it. I feel like that's a hack. I don't know what kid, no kid even dies significantly there. So yeah. that's weird. But that third floor, I had only been in there, up there once to turn off all the lights. And I didn't go up there again until like very early in the morning to get some pictures. But that was where the most activity was coming from. So I'm downstairs though, in this like safe space kind of, and I'm like, I feel pretty comfortable. I set up my camera to take some video in my YouTube video that I end up compiling a bunch of footage in but um and I could still hear the footsteps upstairs from down there occasionally like and it was it just was all throughout the house all night and at this point too I'm like sleep deprived I'm like malnutrition because again at the conjuring house was eating terribly tons of caffeine like you know just not doing well psychologically at all and uh, I also started to see like little specks of light floating like up um, lower to the ground, which is a first for me. I've never in my life seen an orb with my own eyes. Right. And I don't even know if I believe in orbs to this day, but like it wasn't what you think an orb would be. It was like, it seemed like something would be severely wrong with my vision. Like it's kind of how it like, if you press your eye hard enough and like the speckles of light, you see but it would just be one your eyes. Kind yeah, of thing, right? yeah. It was just like, it'd be like one freestanding, like it looked like a floating prick of light and it would kind of trail and kind of trail like this with like a tail. And it, I just saw that like a few times on the floor, like near the floor, like as if it was walking <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and then towards the very end of the night, I, as I was looking at like certain, like I'd turn and like look at a photo on the wall it it my brain was playing tricks on me and i even thought i saw the photos moving at a certain point and that was that was severe sleep deprivation and and sure. like psychological torment at that point because i had completely lost my mind and i was scared that my adrenaline was so high for such an extended period of time like i felt like i was almost hostage to like a real person in a house like it was so distinctly like, like uh, an energy was present but it felt too much like a real person even and that it was it was super super scary so i ended up leaving that house i think by like 2 a.m in the morning and i slept in my car and i uh, left all the ha i left all the uh lights back on in the house even though i wasn't supposed to i uh, slept in my car with the car facing the house so i could see if anything was in there um and then i went back into the house at like 7 a.m when the sun had risen and uh and I did end up sleeping in the bed for like two hours, early, early morning. So I've truly never, ever come across that in my entire 12 years of investigating. I am a skeptical believer. I am not scared easily. I'm typically the one who runs towards the noise or is the first to 
go into a, a new room or something like I want to be the person to experience it. So I'll put myself in compromising situations in order to get the best results. But uh, the Lizzie Borden house was, there was so much going on. It was just like, I wasn't in a good headspace and I am experienced enough to re recognize that and to be like, I also know that that can cause things to happen. And then, you know, I felt like too vulnerable for whatever sure. was there. And I felt like it was observing me and like intimidating me in a sense and also there there is this uh part in there's this little like uh, offering in the house for the dad for mr borden there's like a picture of him and then there's like a little bowl or something and you can like leave pennies or whatever i didn't do that because i was like no like screw you i don't want to leave you an offering why am i leaving with like dead human an offering you know like it just felt <laughs> right. uh, personally I, I felt like it was kind of weird and then i was like later on in the night i'm like should i have left that offering like is that what's going on i don't know my mind was everywhere and um and it ended up being like the most terrifying night of my life and the, and the most concretely like paranormal thing that's ever ever happened to me i still to this day cannot believe that i heard walking that was so distinct but like hard-soled footsteps on wood floors there was no question about it and everything i've experienced up until that there's always been something in the back of my head that says well it could have been a person it could have been an animal or something street noise whatever there's so many ways to explain the paranormal way but when you're in a house alone which was like also an incredible honor and like I was really lucky to get to be there alone to have these experiences I came out of there being like that was a ghost it had to have been a ghost in there even if it was even if that place was rigged I don't know how they could have rigged it to do that you know like I mean the yeah. footsteps were were in the room with me at a certain point like I don't know how it's possible to rig that Thank you so much, Amanda, for your story. Now, can you imagine that happening to you or me? What happened to Amanda? Yeah, pretty effing eff that. That's what I'm saying. Nuh-uh. No, thank you. I would have gotten straight out of that house, hearing footsteps all over the place, completely alone. No way. Well, thankfully, Amanda Paulson, or pretty effing spooky, is much braver than I am and stuck it out at that house for most of the night. We definitely did benefit from her bravery and got to hear that very ghastly and very terrifying tale, I think. Well, thank you so much again, Amanda. Check out Amanda Paulson and Pretty F and Spooky on all of the social media formats, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. Just look for at Pretty F and Spooky, F-N, not, you know, spelled out in any weird way. Pretty F and Spooky. There you go. Amanda has also recently revamped and posted new content on her website, which is prettyeffinspooky.com. And why don't you go on YouTube, look for Pretty Effin' Spooky. She's got some really awesome videos up on YouTube, including a video of her night that she spent alone at the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. Yeah. Links to Amanda's YouTube channel, Amanda's website, and all of the contributors' various internet presences will be up on this episode's page of the Bobcast website. And that, my fiends, will do it for this episode of the Bobcast. 
Thanks so much to Carolyn Morissette for another amazing edition of the Celluloid Catacombs. Look for more Celluloid Catacombs with Carolyn here on the Bobcast once a month. Thanks so much to Kennedy, Amanda Woomer, Gregory, Courtney, and Amanda Paulson for taking the time to tell your terrifying tales of ghostly activity for this episode of the Bobcast. I truly appreciate it, and I appreciate all of you. Thank you so much. Thanks to Airstream Futures and Graham from Little Rocket Records for appearing on the Bobcast and the Lungs. Thank you so much for providing the morbid and marvelous music for this episode. I do appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Please remember, subscribe, rate, and review the Bobcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please also consider joining the Bobcast Patreon. The membership tiers start at a dollar a month. Get all kinds of exclusive content like portions of this episode which were released a couple days in advance of it coming out so yeah very good stuff go to patreon.com slash i want to party with bob sign up today thank you so much for listening to the i want to party with bob boo cast